Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Father-Son Packers podcast, your source for Packers news, notes, and analysis. My name is Tommy, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, my dad, Matt, here for our first episode of the off-season. Dad, how are we doing? All right, we're we're going into deep dives of uh, um, background, review, analysis. Yep. I feel like we, we have a little bit more freedom to think up crazy ideas in the off-season than, yeah, than in the I regular was, season. I was going to say, you know, our off-season pods, like, which, you know, if you hadn't heard, we're going to be doing an episode a week during the whole off-season. So just because the Packers season is done doesn't mean that we are. Doesn't mean, you know what, Brian Gutekinds loves to say that roster building is 365 days a year. Well, podcasting is 52 <laughs> days a year. So we will be doing an episode every single week talking about the draft. We got a lot of stuff with the Senior Bowl coming up, which is really exciting. Actually, Senior Bowl right now which is really exciting, and the Shrine Bowl just a few days ago. And then you got the Combine in a little bit we'll be talking about. We'll be doing mock drafts. We'll be talking about free agency. And today, Dad, we'll be talking about coaching hires because our plan originally was to be talking about the interview interviewees that the Packers had coming in. You know, we were like, oh, we'll talk a little yes. bit about Christian <laughs> we, Parker. We'll talk a little we're gonna bit about... We are going to compare the whatever six interviewees or however many it was at the time. It's like, good thing we, good thing we were a little bit slow getting that one started. Yeah, I was going to say, we'll talk a little bit about Zachary Orr, talk a little bit about Denard Wilson. Nope. Uh, good thing we delayed this. We were originally going to record yesterday, uh, but the Packers, Dad, in a out-of-nowhere move, hire uh, former, now, uh, Boston College head coach Jeff Halfley as their new defensive coordinator. This was originally reported by Pete Thamel of ESPN, uh, has now officially been announced by the team as well. So welcome, Jeff Halfley, to being the defensive coordinator. Uh, the, the, t- uh, the official team announcement has come out. The, the official team announcement is out as well. Matt LaFleur has a quote on it as well. Um, but, Dad, so, you know, we had to, like, throw out the, what we'd already been working on and work on an entirely I, new podcast. I was podcast. in the middle of working on that previous version of this podcast when you uh, texted me was like, what? Who? I, I was like, who? I, because this was not one of the six people uh, that we had heard the Packers were interviewing. And, you know, probably because the six that we had heard of were all pro professional level coaches. And I'd imagine, you know, a college head coach probably wants to keep it on the down low that they're, you know, looking for other work. Um, apparently with all yeah. the NIL stuff and the transfer portal, college head coaching has just become like even more work than it was before. And it's just like nonstop, go, go, go. But dad, what every, was your... Every year you have to re-recruit your entire team. Yeah, it, it sounds like a crazy amount of work and it sounds like that was part of what um made Halfley move to the NFL and we'll talk a little bit about that but dad I just wanted to get your initial thought on what 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 did you think when you read this name were you also like who on earth is that I, I don't know who that honestly, is honestly the name I don't think I'd ever heard of him before or if I had a maybe read when he was hired you know saw a headline pass across my uh eyeballs a few years ago, but otherwise I knew absolutely nothing about him. I haven't followed Boston College football besides AJ Dillon coming out of the, the draft a few years ago. So it was complete news to me. I was like, uh, and at first I was like, well, I hope they know what they're doing because I don't know anything about him yet. Yeah. And I think we're going to, we're going to break it all down for you here today, folks. We're going to be talking about his background, some of his philosophies, some quotes from players who have played for him, some quotes from people who are more tuned into that college football side of things. I'm like cautiously optimistic. I think I really like the idea of the hire. We'll see if the specifics are like whether or not he is the right person. But I think, you know, the way they went about it in terms of going after someone who's going to play more aggressively, going after someone who has a diversity in their background in terms of what they run, worked with a variety of different coaches. I I like the way that they targeted Halfley, and we'll see if he's the right guy, but the process makes sense to me. But Dad, before we get into any of that, just wanted to pitch a couple of things. If you like what you hear today, come give us a follow on Twitter at Father Son Packer. We tweet out when we have new articles out, pieces, or sorry, new podcasts out, uh, pieces of Packers news, articles that we find interesting. Um, we'll be tweeting out clips from Boston College defense, I'm sure. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. Um, et cetera, et cetera. Stuff from other Packers content creators that, whose work we really enjoy, just like one stop shopping for everything Titletown. And then subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. We can put all our episodes out on YouTube as well if you want to check them out there. If you subscribe there, it would really help our numbers. We'd really appreciate it. And then leave a comment too. We'd love to interact with you. Uh, we try and get back to those as quickly as we can. Sometimes we're a little slow on them, but we will get back to you. Um, but, Dad, 
let's start talking about Packers' new defensive coordinator, Jeff Halfley. And let me just set the scene really quick with the situation. So he was not one of the six interviewees that we had heard about that had been reported by various sources. Um, Pete Thamel, who had the initial report, um, said, quote, he wants to go coach college. Uh, sorry, quote, or he wants to go coach football again in a league that is all about football. A source told ESPN and end quote, quote, college coaching has become fundraising NIL and recruiting your own team and transfers. There's no time to coach football anymore. So it seems like that was a big impetus behind this move is he wanted to focus more on the football of it, which is always, you know, positive to hear. And then Matt LaFleur via Lily Zhao on Twitter uh, also had a quote about him, quote, Jeff has had success at every stop of his coaching career with an impressive track record of developing players at every level. We look forward to him leading our defense. Um, And then the other thing that was interesting in terms of the whole situation is that Pete Thamel also in that initial report said that some or all of the Packers defensive assistants would be returning. Dad, thoughts on that? Because that's the one thing where I was like that. I don't like that personally. That's a little surprising. And I would... (sighs) I would hope that they would give him the freedom to pick the assistance he wants. Yes. And I, I would, here's the thing. It's like, you've had two disappointing defenses in a row. And a lot of these assistants have been the assistants for both of the past defensive coordinators. Like you've got, um, olivadotti has been here since Petten, if I remember correctly. So he's been across two staffs now. Um, and then you have, please help me, I'm blanking on the D-line coach, Jerry Montgomery, who's Montgomery. been here since uh, Dom Capers and we, has been across three different def- uh, disappointing defenses. And so it just seems like to me, and, and you have some new guys. You have a guy like Ryan Downard, who's a new secondary coach, who actually worked with Jeff Halfley, and we'll talk about that a little bit. And so I understand, you know, maybe keeping like one or two, but I really hope we get some fresh blood in here because we've had two straight de- disappointing defenses with two different defensive coordinators, and we've kept the defensive staff across both of them. And to do that a third time just seems, I it don't understand it to me. I really hope that the report is like, we're keeping one or two, not we're running it back with this whole staff because it just feels like, like what the whole point is that the defense is kind of tired and slow and needs a change up. And just to run it back with the same staff feels like completely the opposite of that. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, you want fresh ideas, you want energy, you want people who have, um, you know, maybe a different, a whole different mindset across the entire room. And this whole kind of forced arranged marriage, whatever you want to call it, that, you know, you had to push it down level was LaFleur and Petten didn't work out. You know, why would you kind of repeat that same idea at the next level down? Yeah, that's a really good point. You already decided you didn't like it. Yeah, and... I just I hope that they let him just let him make the call. On his, if he wants to keep certain guys, that's fine. But let him make that call. Like, that's the big thing. It's like he should be full autonomy over the defense. Like, otherwise, why did you hire him? If like you're going right. to have to unless you hire him because you want to have your like, you know, control over it again, which is just a which foolish notion. Like because He didn't want to do that. That was the whole point of firing Barry that him being Matt LaFleur. Like, so. Uh, I we'll see. Yeah. So I don't want to overreact I, to I, that. And I want LaFleur to have, you know, his focus on the offense. Yeah, exactly. And I don't want to overreact to like one report that said some or all of the assistants might stay. Like that's a pretty, you know, that's couched to like three different ways. So I'm not going to overreact to it. But I, I do hope that they make a, some different moves at those defensive assistant spots. Um, Dad, anything else on that? I have some pretty interesting and pretty, see, you've seen you know, some- some quotes uh, from people around him. And I saw, and I found one about that. He had said a couple of years ago, but that speaks a little bit to his philosophy, I think. Yeah. So I just wanted to talk about some quotes of players who have played for him or people who are more tapped into the college football circuit. Um, and some stuff that's, you know, pretty positive and stuff that got me kind of excited. The first one's from Richard Sherman. Um, this is per Garrett Stepien on Twitter. Uh, the quote is from, I believe 2018, Richard Sherman played for him in 2018 uh, with San Francisco quote. His preparation is some of the best I've seen. I've had some great defensive back coaches, great defensive coaches, great defensive minds, and he's right up there, end quote. Getting that kind of endorsement from a guy like Richard Sherman, who knows defense, and who's pretty much his entire career was just based on being the smartest defensive back on the field, because like he was athletically, he was big, but he was kind of athletically limited. I, for him to he say that- He was very fast, anyway. Yes. 
that wasn't that's I guess that's a better way of saying it. But he had to be very spot on with his technique. He had to be a true technician to be as good as he was. And the fact that he considers like uh, Halfley to be someone who like he considers to be on that tier of defensive mind for a guy who like has worked with Pete Carroll, Dan Quinn, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, to have him in that same tier is, you know, that's pretty high praise. Beyond that, uh, Mike Golick Jr., um, this was a quote about, and I promise he said it in a good way. This is a quote about Jeff Halfley's defense. Quote, chaos around the line of scrimmage when I think of Jeff Halfley. And and not in a bad way. Not in a, we don't know what we're doing, but more in a- We don't know we're doing chaos. <laughs> not, I think not, that's sort of the, the, the old school, it's a good thing uh, mentality. Chaos yes. the line of scr- around the line of scrimmage. Which I would love to see. I mean, we talked about, you know, like we talked to you and I, not during the podcast about- Mike Zimmer, how he'd always have those mugged up a gap looks. And I don't think that's something that Halfley does necessarily, but making the quarterback think and making the quarterback make decisions based on looks that you're presenting. I really would love a defense that dictates the offense and doesn't just react. That's that would be so nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, because when you're you're reacting, you're always a half step behind. Exactly. And he has some interesting stuff about press coverage and why he thinks that's a good thing. But I just wanted to add one more quote here, and then I'll throw over to you. But this is Eric Eager of PFF, and he tweeted this out actually after the hire was announced. Um, Quote, one of the first things Jeff Halfley did when he got the Boston College job was stop by the offices, the PFF offices in Cincinnati to see how he to see how we could help his staff better prepare for games using data, end quote. I love that. Oh, it was the PFF I, office. That's, yeah, I was wondering what the Cincinnati office was when you wrote it in there. Yeah, I, I love a coach. We love a coach who actually understands the data and makes informed decisions based on it, don't we? Yes, because the whole point of the data is you're trying to do the things that make you most likely to succeed. You analyze the data. This works. The mo- This is the thing that works more often in, or in this situation, whatever the combination of data is. And you do it because it works more. It's that and simple. And so people who are open to doing it for that reason just makes sense. And I think it also shows like people who are willing to go outside of their area of expertise and ask people for help and ask people for information where they're not as sure about. I think that's always a green flag, in my opinion, where it's like he's not so up his own you know what that he's like oh like i'm just gonna do my thing like i know like what i'm doing he's willing to go out and ask for other outside opinions which i think massive green flag right there at least um you had a quote as well every industry is littered with failures from people who think because they're good at one thing they know the most about everything and they fail over and over and over again so yeah. it's good to talk to people for new ideas and who know something that maybe you don't to learn how to do it. And I, I found a little thing in an article I was reading about uh, when I was trying to find out how the Boston College defenses had been doing the last few years. I found this preseason article from 2022. And there's a quote from him that I think gives a little insight into his um, philosophy of his defense. So he what he says the best coaches I've been around, they let you coach, Halfley said. Even if it's a position group, the best coaches are the ones that let you coach. They might sit in a meeting and kind of share with you what they want it to look like in certain drills. When the players are around, their coaches are going to coach. That was huge for me. And I think my job as a head coach, which I learned and probably didn't realize, was to let those coaches grow and develop. So some of it is getting, giving input, giving the kind of, I think in this case, will be the position coaches rather than coordinators, some autonomy to run things with the players once he's given, you know, let them know how we'd like things to be. Yeah. And I think, you know, there are coordinators that are more hands-on, there are coordinators that are more hands-off. It's all about hitting that balance, you know, knowing when is the right time to like really go in hand, like hands-on and when to like let the defense, the defensive assistants do their thing. Cause they're highly paid, and they've worked their way to get to this spot, too. They know a lot about football, too. Um, but, yeah, Dad, let's I mean, talk. Sorry, oh, I just want to say, for, for that sort of thing to, to have success, you need to, ahead of time, you know, make sure you've explained well what your vision is for yeah. the, that particular position group so that that coach can then relay it to the um, the players. 
Yeah, well, let's talk a little bit about Halfley, though. I have some more quotes about his philosophy that I'll share in a second. But I just wanted to give, you know, a quick rundown of, you know, his experience, his bio. Although, Dad, you wrote this part up. So if you want to take it away and talk a little bit about what <laughs> yeah, he's so up to. I, actually, this is like mostly from Wikipedia. So he's he's still on the young side. He's only 44. He was a, he was a wide receiver in college, actually. Not a, not a defensive player. Um, then he worked as a, like a defensive assistant and um, defensive back coach combo with Albany for a couple of years and Pittsburgh for a couple of years. And I see you had a note that he coached Darrell Rivas. Darrell Rivas, but yes. Darryl, uh, when he Darryl was Rivas, a, when he was a assistant at Pitt. And I think I, I watched a little video of him talking about that. And he was saying, he was like, yeah, no, when I got there, I was like, I know a lot about like coaching defensive backs. And then I had, then I coached Darrell Rivas and I was like, wow, I have a lot to learn about coaching defensive backs. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what happens when you coach, you know, one of the all-time greats. Yeah. And so then he had, it was three years as uh, Pitt's defensive backs coach. And then one year with Rutgers as the defensive back coach. And then he moved to the NFL and did two years with uh, Tampa Bay as an assistant Defensive backs coach, and then the defensive backs coach under DC Bill Sheridan. Yeah, it and sounds like that the- was something where Greg Schiano brought him with him because Greg Schiano was the the Rutgers coach, I believe, and then got that Tampa Bay job straight off of Rutgers, if I remember correctly. So that probably could be. Uh, I think there's maybe more than one case where he moved with a coach because mm-hmm. right? I think he also followed Jim O'Neill, I believe, at one point. But from from Tampa, he went to the Browns, and he was the defensive backs coach under. Um, Jim O'Neill, when he was a defensive coordinator for Mike Pettin. So he's had a little yep. bit of exposure to the Pettin system there for two for a couple of years. And as he also coached with current Packers defensive backs coach Ryan Downer there. And from yeah, and, there... And Mike Pettin, actually, oh, they, they, I read a little article. This was written when he took the Ohio State job, when uh, Halflin took the Ohio State job, that is. He was talking about how he thought that he was like an excellent communicator, and really knew his stuff, and that you know Ohio State was going to love him. Essentially, like pretty much glowing, glowing that was a quote praise. From yeah, glowing uh, from Petten on Halfley, glowing praise uh, from him talking about when he was taking the Ohio State job. So I just wanted to toss that in there. Right, and so from from there he moved to San Francisco. He spent three years, twenty sixteen to twenty eighteen, as the defensive backs coach under two different defensive coordinators. Still Jim, Jim O'Neill for the for a year, and then Robert Sala for two years. And as was the only coach that Shanahan kept from Chip Kelly's staff um, when when Shanahan got there. And then in 20, so from his experience there at San Francisco, he got the job as the kind of co-defensive coordinator, defensive backs coach at Ohio State with Greg Mattinson running a 4-3 system. So he's gone for like some 3-4 system, some 4-3 system. And then as the, from Ohio State where he, was partially in charge of an elite um, college defense. He he parlayed that into a head coaching gig at Boston College, where he's mostly played a what looks like a four three as the as base when, when they're in base. Yeah, and you know a lot of people will say you know the base doesn't really matter. You're only in base like twenty percent of downs these days, mostly nickel anyway, which might as well be the same. But to me, I'm like twenty percent of downs is still one out of five. Like that's still a pretty yeah. big chunk, like to me. So it's like it's two multiple times a series you're going to be playing base, and those downs matter a lot. And to me, well, I think know, a lot of it matters with the base. Probably matters a lot in the the run game, those early downs. And when to you're me, trying to keep them um, set up for unfavorable uh, second and third down situations. Yeah. So to me, I I have a couple more quotes on his philosophy, and he essentially talks about. This was an interview with Adam Brenneman. Talks about, you know, being more of a middle close defense, safety, middle of the field. Uh, so a lot of, you know, set, like single high safety uh, with a four down front. Um, but he did also acknowledge that, you know, the NFL is almost a different sport than college. Um, but per Derek Carragher, uh, who's using PFF data on Twitter, um, Boston College played with a single high safety on 43.1% of plays last season, which is the fifth most in the FBS. So a lot of single high safety. He prefers a four down front, it seems, when he's a defensive coordinator, or at least while he's a defensive coordinator in college. He actually talked a little bit. I thought it was kind of interesting. He was like, yeah, in college, you really have to guard against the quarterback run game more than the pros. And that's why we're that. And and he was talking about, he's like, yeah, so a lot of people will play, you know, too high there to do that. And he's like, and he's like, we prefer more of like a four down front. It was it was interesting to talk about. We retweeted that uh, interview. So if you want to go check it out, go check out at Father Sun Packer on Twitter. 
But he did acknowledge that, you know, the NFL and college are almost different sports is what he was saying. So in some ways, just keep that in mind while we're talking about later his like preferences of how he ran his systems in college. Um, and, you know, maybe he might be like, hey, that worked in college. We might do something different in the NFL. But he does have a varied background. I just want to talk a little bit about, you know, 4-3 defense versus like 3-4 and base. I personally would prefer to see the Packers run a 4-3 base. I feel like the way when you look at it, how important attacking the middle of the field is for offenses and the way that that creates yards after catch opportunities and explosive plays, play opportunities when offenses target the middle of the field and the ability to have just like three linebackers there in the middle of the field in a base coverage just makes more sense to me in modern offenses. The counter argument is there is a dearth of inside linebacker talent in the NFL right now. <laughs> and so trying to find three of them might be really hard. Uh, Dad, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, mean, I feel like we've seen more of the, uh, at least at least some of the elite defenses be running a, a 4-3 rather than a 3-4 in the last few years. There's there's always elite ones both ways. You know, San Francisco runs a 4-3, although we talked about in our preview, it's like they're actually much, much worse in their base defense in a lot of things than they are in their nickel. Um, and then, you know, Baltimore ran a 4-3, or sorry, a 3-4. So, you know, they're, they're, you can have an elite defense either way, but I would be interested in them exploring a 4-3 base if they can find some more linebacker talent. Um, yeah, but I think for me, the, the biggest thing is the whole sort of attitude uh, adjustment. Yes, I think not, not, not how you want to scheme, but how you want to play. Well, let's talk a little bit about that because I have some quotes from him um, talking yeah, when, about Yeah, his... I see you've got some quotes. Yeah, why don't you fire those out? I have some quotes from him talking about his philosophy. Um, the first was is less of a quote but he is i was just you know surfing twitter looking up his name looking at recent looking at old stuff and i found something and i cannot remember who retweeted it but it was essentially a presentation that he had put together to talk about cornerback press technique and he is big on press coverage to the point where he like seems almost disdainful for off coverage which you know i'm cool with it i guess um but he is i think a lot of packers fans share that feeling about uh disdain for uh off coverage especially when you're off behind the line to gain yeah me too but like you know so he is and like the stuff the detail that he had in this you know the slides and the presentation talking about you know, the specifics of the footwork and talking about, you know, having your eyes, not looking at the hips of the receiver, but looking at the numbers, because if you're looking at the hips, it'll cause you to shoot up out of your stance too much when you like when you stand up. Um, So like he is clearly very detail oriented and very passionate about press coverage. So Packers fans like me and like you who have been just out of their mind watching like the essentially just defenses give up the quick outs or the quick ins just on third and third and three having guys eight yards off you know hopefully i guess we'll see but it seems like that we're going in the opposite direction of that which is good and i know dusty evilly was talking about on twitter he was already looking at some of the boston college defensive tape he's a great follow by the way at dusty evilly on twitter he was talking about he's like they don't play like they're not exclusively man, but even the zone that they played at Boston College, they were triggering downhill very quickly and like aggressively triggering downhill. And I would love to see it because that feels like an awesome change of pace from what we've had to watch the last like three, four years. Yeah, the other thing I really like about some of those quotes is that we had been talking a little bit about you know, what we were looking for. And I'd mentioned that I really want somebody who can teach players how to get better. And it sounds like the attention to detail, um, not like glossing over, oh, do it, go do it, kind of yeah, attitude. go press them. Just go, just, just go just, get just your go, hands just on Just go do it. What's the matter? Just go, you, just, just, I told you how to do it. Just do it. But somebody who's actually yeah. explained what the and And he was, it was really interesting. He was, he was talking about the benefit, like one of the big benefits of press coverage in his mind was you make the receiver like declare what route they're going to run because if you press them and they're running like a like an inbreaking route they have to fight for inside leverage so you kind of know they're only going to run like a specific subset of routes or if they fight for outside leverage you know they're running a go or a, like a quick comeback and so that was like what he was talking about why he thinks press coverage is so good and then i also just have some quotes from just general mentality stuff that he was talking about this was a clip of um like kind of behind the scenes of an ohio state practice um, so a few years ago now, but the two quotes I liked was 
the first was quote, you take the field with an attitude to let them know what's coming all day long. And this was in like a speech when like the guys, I guess were not showing quite enough intensity for him, which, Hey, thumbs up on that one. And then the other was quote, everyone should be flying around to the football. It's inexcusable if they're not. I love it. We love to hear it. That's, I love that. That's awesome. Um, but so, yeah, so those are a couple quotes from him about his philosophy and, you know, it just seems like, it seems like a, a left, like a turn the other way from what Barry, Barry had good moments, but I think overall you'd say it was disappointing and too passive. This definitely does not seem like it's going to be too passive, at least on its face. Yeah. It, it seems like fundamentally Barry's defense was a, let's just not get beat for the big play. Don't get beat over your head, even if you have to back up to the heels on the the back of the end zone, kind of, at least how it felt some some place for practice fans. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about his defenses in college and when he was an assistant. But one more general thing, Dad, I think you had a quote about, you know, some situational stuff that he uh, he mentioned in an interview. It, oh, it's the it's it's due to everybody. So in terms of how the team plays. It's about what coverages we're playing and if we're going to load the box or play with two safeties deep. We ask if we're going to pressure or not going to pressure. So I think it's a combination of everything. We mix up a bunch of things schematically and we have some stuff that's new. We're starting to use that a little bit more for those situations. And I think it's coaching and cleaning up all three levels from the line to the linebackers and to the secondary. So this this was in that uh, preseason interview from 2022 uh, from, I think it was, bceagles.com or something like that. But this whole notion of being flexible with how you want to play, being prepared to use different schemes, different techniques, different uh, style, and make sure that everybody is on board from all three levels. I, I like the how you're looking for communication, um, synergy between different groups, and being able to play with um, different styles. 100%. And well, let's start talking about, you know, how he looked in those defenses, because like you were saying, ability to play in different styles, and we're just going to go through really quick and do a brief analysis on his time as an NFL assistant and then as a defensive coordinator and uh, head coach at the college level. So I'm starting with the defensive assistant. We're just going to kind of go chronologically, and we're going to start with his time in Tampa. And I just want to preface all of this for, for me, there are three things that I was looking for in a defensive coordinator. And they, uh, any defensive coordinator candidate to me had to check these three boxes that I felt were more objective. And, and it probably could have added a few more, like is a good communicator, is a good teacher, is good with the players. Those are kind of harder to quantify. So for me, it was, has had a good defense in the past, which we'll talk about here. He, he's had a few, so that's, that's a check. Has a diverse background and is willing to run multiple things. To me, this is like, even the best defenses that only run one thing, I think about, you know, Brandon Staley's Rams in 2020 that only ran cover two, got shredded by us in the playoffs. The Browns this year only really ran, like, we're one of the most homogenous defenses that you'll ever see. But we're one of the best defenses of all time by a ton of metrics, EPA per play, DBA, et cetera, et cetera. Got shredded by Houston in the playoffs because you need to have a changeup. And so that's another box that I think he checks. He is like played in four three defenses, played in three four defenses. We'll talk about, you know, the different tendencies of the de defensive coordinators that he's played under. So I'll talk about that in a second. And then the third is ability to do more coached with under. Coached under. Sorry. Did I say played under? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Coached under. Same <laughs> idea, you know. Um, and then the third one was the ability to do more with less. And so to me, it's like, okay, yeah, like any defensive coordinator can coach a group of Hall of Famers to like a top five defense. That's not that impressive to me. And so I'll talk a little bit about how I'm quantifying that, but you know, might as well get into it. Um, so I'm going to start with Tampa in 2013, where he was the defensive backs coach. Uh, he was the defensive backs assistant in 2012, but I'm, you know, he has less of input on the defense at that point. So I'm not really going to look at that one too much. Um, so first I'm looking at results versus defensive investment. So what I'm looking at here is per over the cap in 2013, Tampa Bay led the league in spending on corners and was fourth in spending on safety. So a ton of investment in that secondary room for a first year NFL defensive backs coach to, you know, take advantage of. And to be fair, this is his first really big job at the NFL level. In terms of results, not great. They were 18th in coverage grade per PFF. 
25th in EPA per dropback, although that is not just about the secondary. You know, that a lot of that has to do with the pass rush as well. And then 23rd in dropback success rate. When you look at before and after, uh, there is something there. So per PFF coverage grade, the year before that, in 2012, before he was the defensive backs coach, they were 14th in coverage grade. The year with him, you know, they were 18th in PFF coverage grade. And then the year after he left, they were 25th. So they got worse after he left. And there is that. So there's clearly, they lost something when he was not there anymore the next year. Moving on to Cleveland. Um, in 2014, he was the defensive backs coach there, like we talked about. They were fifth in spending on corners and 19th in spending on safeties. And they were the first graded coverage unit in the league per PFF, number one with a bullet. So that's great. They were fourth in EPA per dropback and sixth in dropback success rate. So there, yes, you are getting more than you're paying for at that point. You are paying for like a top, you know, 10-ish defense and you're getting a top five defense. That's awesome. Um, 2015, they were third in spending on corners, still with Cleveland, that is, and ninth in spending on safeties. And they take a step back, 22nd in coverage grade, 31st EPA per dropback, 24th in dropback success rate. When you look yeah, at before that, and after, that's a that's a big drop off. That's uh, not good. That's really bad. Did you see any kind of like I don't you know I didn't look at uh, how he did there whether they had some like injuries, but you know players that they invested in actually they didn't get much out of because they missed time or something like that. Any, Based on the spending, I'm I I think it was a very similar roster. I did not check the in the injury you know time time missed that that is a good idea, um, but it, I will say. It makes you feel a little better when you look at the surrounding years. So before he got there, they were 22nd in coverage grade. And then they were first in 22nd while he was there. And then the year after he left, they went down to 28th. So he got, you know, sandwiched between two bad years. He got one one really, really good year and then one bad year as well. So there is that. Uh, next years, he was 2016 to 2018 with San Francisco. Now, these, I think, are probably his weakest years as an assistant. Um, once again, he's the defensive backs coach. 2016, they were 24th in spending on corners and 16th in spending on safeties. 25th in coverage grade per PFF, 28th in EPA per dropback, 21st in dropback success rate. Not exactly getting more with less. You're pretty much getting less with less right there. But A little it bit is, less, depending, depending on which one of those metrics you go with. Yeah, and to me, coverage grade is the biggest one there because that is directly his responsibility. Whereas EPA per dropback and dropback success rate also has to do with you know defensive line play, linebacker play. But coverage grade is as like soloed out away from that other stuff as we can as siloed out away i guess is what i should say yeah you'd have to spend a little more time like extracting the coverage by linebackers oh yeah for example mm -hmm. to 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 really parse that out in, in in a finer detail yeah 20 uh 2017 still the defensive backs coach but with a new defensive coordinator this time robert sala comes to town uh he is the only coach that kyle shanahan kept on halfly so that's interesting. 27th in spending on quarters, 17th in spending on safeties, 26th in coverage grade per PFF, and then 24th in EPA per dropback and 28th in dropback success rate. Once again, kind of getting not, I mean, you're getting what you paid for in some ways, but you're not elevating like the lower levels of talent there. Next year in 2018, they were 12th in spending on corners, 31st in spending on safeties. They bring in Richard Sherman. Um, 32nd in coverage grade, and it's by a big margin. This is probably the biggest blemish on his resume, I would say. They were the gap between them at 32 and 31. And to be fair, you know, if, the, if your counter argument is, you know, PFF coverage grades, it's a little subjective. It's not perfect. Totally fine. But it's just another piece of data. Um, but they were 32nd by a really big margin. The gap between them and 31 was as big as the gap between 31 and 22. It's not what you want to say. So I would say that year 2018 in San Francisco is the big blemish on his resume. And the fact that the year after he left, they went from dead last in coverage grade for PFF to first with a bullet. <laughs> they were number one. And yes, they made some improvements roster wise. Uh, you know, Richard Sherman had been coming off that injury. Um, so he, come, he comes had back. Like the Achilles injury. Actually, I think, yeah, that right? dumb thing about it, maybe he did not even play for them in 2018. I have to double check that. Yeah. So, but so that's that's one where I think they they uh, there is they had a there are year, surrounding he, factors as to why they improved that much in 2019 and 2018 besides just the fact that he left. And there are surrounding yeah. factors on the other ones as opposed to like why they might have gotten worse after he left or why they got better when he got there. There's always other yeah. factors and stuff, but, but, but we're I just trying to be... give you a picture. I think you might be onto something that the year they actually added Richard Sherman for practical reasons, there's a recovery from injury was right after he left rather than when, when his last year there. Yeah. But then going from 32nd to first and immediately going to a Super Bowl, not bad. Um, 
In terms of some those defensive types that he coached under at that time, like you mentioned, he coached under Bill Sheridan in Tampa. They ran a 4-3. I couldn't find the numbers on like aggressiveness, but according to an article on BucksNation.com from 2014, Sheridan had two seasons of endless blitzes, end quote. So a very aggressive <laughs> defensive coordinator there who was really throwing the kitchen sink. And then, you know, under Mike Pettin, it's a 3-4. We all know Mike Pettin, you know, kind of some struggles against the runs. He would he would send an extra blitzer occasionally, but he wouldn't send like five rushers. He would just drop like a pass rusher out and then send a guy from the other side and overload a side. So he was always sending four, but it was usually not the four you would expect. So there's some differences there. Um, Jim O'Neill in San Francisco, who he was also under in Cleveland, um, also, you know, struggled against the run, but it's also, you know, it's a Mike Pettin disciple, but also ran 3-4. And then Robert Sala ran a 4-3. Um, they were the bottom third in the league in blitz rate, though. They did not blitz much at all. And they, Pro Football Reference doesn't have blitz rate before 2018, so that was the only one I could really see, the actual, like, blitz percentage on dropbacks. Um, but yeah, so they are more multiple, but didn't blitz as much. So a very diverse background in terms of what the coaches he coached under liked to do, which is what I love to see. You love to see guys who have a big Rolodex of what they can run. But Dan, you looked at his time at the college ranks where he went next, where he went to be the DC at Ohio State and then later the head coach at Boston College. Do you want to talk a little bit about his time there? Or do you have anything that you wanted to like bounce around about his time in the pros or things that you were thinking about for that? Yeah. So I and, and I didn't go back to his early you know, starting yeah, out college time, years where Pitt, when he was like probably like 30 defensive years assistant yeah. and I, you don't really expect to learn much from that actually. And I think I did find that I think Did you, you know what I saw was playing in 2018. You know what I saw, which was funny. Uh, speaking of his time as a grad assistant, he was in this. I think it was the same interview I was talking about earlier. Um, he was talking about his time as a grad assistant, driving from Pitts, uh, driving from Pittsburgh to like his home. I think in New Jersey. I think it was, but I can't remember exactly. He, he but, I think he went to a high school in New Jersey anyway. If I if I saw, yeah. But correctly. he's talking about how he didn't have money for the toll roads. So he would just pull up to the window, pretend to throw something in, and then raise his hands like it didn't work until they until they let him through because he just didn't have money for the toll roads to get home. He did. He, um, didn't, he didn't avoid the toll roads. He still took them. I mean, you know, East Coast gotta save gotta <laughs> save some time the traffic. But I I just thought it was a, a nice little slice of life story. He seems like a funny guy. Um, although he does also seem pretty intense, which you know, if you're if you're a good it's defense. Not surprising. It, but if you're a good defense, intense works. Success solves everything. Like, if you're going to be super intense and you're bad, people aren't going to like that. But if you're good, it's going to be okay. So ultimately, it's a lot of results stuff. But Dad, let's talk about those results and how he looked when he took on a bigger role at the college ranks. Yeah, so thinking about his time, let's start with Ohio State, where he got the sort of, it was a co-defensive coordinator job. Yeah, co-defensive um, coordinator slash defensive after- backs or secondary coach, yeah. Yeah, um, after San Francisco. So at Ohio State in 2019, his, his one year there, the team, one thing I tried to do, like a find a, a rate neutral stat I could use to um, gauge um, college defense effectiveness. And so I stuck with uh, yards per play. Anyway, by that metric, they were first in the country, according to sportsreference.com. And so they think, well, they just had a bunch of great players. And they're, they're, uh, the players that made up the team, the four recruiting classes would have been ranked fifth in the country. Um, in terms of the previous like the so, fifth ranked recruiting class, like on average? On average, right. So mm-hmm. I just took, I went through, this was from, uh, I think, 247 Sports, where I got the recruiting grades for um, Ohio State for all four of those years leading, um, leading up to that team. And they would, on average, had the fifth best recruiting class. So one thing I didn't do is try to figure out which were defensive players and which were offensive players. So maybe doing, but, maybe not quite doing more with less, but you know, elevating that talent, doing you know, a little bit, a little bit it's more. Certainly, it's hard more. to call fifth in the country less, but they yeah, were first. That's what I'm saying. But still, and the um, thing is that this, I've seen people say, "It's like it's not like the cupboards are bare in Green Bay. Like there's some good <laughs> players. Like come on, yeah." And 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 so and beyond that. It's kind of hit before he was there, Ohio State was 42nd among just power five teams um, in yards per play given up. And then the year after he left, they were 45th in 2020 um, in, in yards per play given up. And you see a similar thing with PFF and PFF grades. So in, in 2019, PFF grades, they were first in overall defensive grade, first in run D, first in coverage, first in pass rush. Their one blemish was they were a, a, a lowly fifth in tackling. 
And this is amongst Power 5 schools? This is amongst just the Power 5 schools. So this, okay. I'm, trying, I'm doing this to try to control a little bit for... Competition. Makes sense. Competition yeah. and not have like teams that are in like just dominate a weak conference, which a lot of actually, when you look at it, the whole list, and there's a similar for the uh, um, yards. I mean, I know, I know North Dakota State's grades must be absolutely right. insane. So you end up with a lo- like half of the top 50 being teams from weaker conferences. And then after you left Ohio State in the, the next year in 2020, they were seventh in defensive grade. 10th in Rundy, 38th in coverage after he left, after being first in coverage. Yep. But, and they're still first in pass rush and 39th in tackling. So they went down, especially in the coverage after he left. It's interesting. And, and, and a pessimist say, would say, you know, they lost Jeff Akuda, Like they lost a top three corner in the draft. Of or, course, they're going to get Or an optimist worse. could say that he was the reason why Jeff Okuda looked so good and got to it's be the number, one, the number three pick in the, in the draft that That's year. That's also a very good point. You know, him and Chase Young, both top five picks, but also both top five picks, you could say, because of the defense that Halfley put together. Um, and I think this next part, when you start talking about Boston College, is where I think some of the more with less stuff comes in. Because a lot of people are sure are, sure, are hearing all this. is like, it's like oh, yeah, hearing, you can win at Ohio State. Yeah, I'm not hearing the more with less. I'm hearing he had an awesome recruiting class, and he put out a where, great defense. Where, where, where? You had to play with the number five recruiting class on average in the country. Yeah, it's like 14 of the like 22 starters on Ohio State, I think, that year like made the NFL at, at some capacity. It's like, yeah, no, that team should probably be pretty good. But I think, you know, it's it's the looking at the before and after of when he was there and then the one season he was there, he was clearly, you know, elevating that group. He was part of the reason they were so great, um, as well as the players. Obviously, it's never just one or the other. Um, but I think this time at Boston College that you're going to talk about next is really where I'm like, wow, like, because Boston College, you know, it's a fine program, but it's not like getting these massive recruiting classes, right? Right. You're not, you don't really think of them as a recruiting powerhouse. So just to go over that, so they're, where to have the their average um, recruiting rank just among the Power Five schools was fifty fifth in the country for the years that include when he's there. So his first year actually included the three years before he got there. So the entire Makes team, the players, yes, um, make up as those four recruiting classes and did it for every year that he was there. And so yeah, we've got and that's they were so low they had a lot of like sixty four, sixty six, sixty one. They were below some non-Power 5 teams. They were so low. I had to like weed out, like, you, you don't have to, you have to do, you don't usually don't have to do that so much for the recruiting rankings, but yeah, they were had like three to five non-Power 5 schools out recruiting them for several of those, and not just one or two, like several of those years. Yeah. And he but, was there from 2020 to 2023. So four years. And he definitely turned out some great defenses. Like I think you're about to talk about. Yeah. So one thing that, that happened is they they had had I think a, a good defense before it had fallen off, um, and the defense improved just from some traditional stats and points per game given up. They they improved by the sixth most in the nation from 2020 to 2021 from his first year to his second year, and that two year improvement from the year before he got there um, to his second year that was in total defense that was second best in the country. And thinking about performance versus expectation, you know, they, so they they weren't always great, but they're outperforming the recruiting. So thinking about it's kind of the parallel to outperforming your salary cap and draft capital investments on the NFL level. So they were um, in yards per play. They were 45th amongst Power 5 teams and while they were 55th in re- recruiting rankings. And... Let's see, in 2020, but there was a little bit up and down. So when he first gets there in 2020, they're 53rd out of 69 Power 5 teams in uh, yards per play. And then in 2021, they they jump all the way up to 31st in yards per play. And their recruiting, their four-year recruiting rank average at that point is only 57th in the country. So they're way outperforming their recruiting um, investments, you might say, at that point. And then they start to take a little bit of step back. 2022 is a small step back. They're still 42nd, which is still a lot better than when he um, before he got there. But then in 2023, they dropped all the way back to 62nd. So a little bit more like they were just before he got there. They also had a change in the defensive coordinator um, who left for Carolina Panthers to take an NFL job. So that was the one year where like, he actually underperformed the recruiting investments. Though 
you hear a lot of people, the articles reading at that time about how they had lost some of their better pass rushers. And so they weren't getting as much pressure. And so then the, uh, the, the defense suffered in that regard. Yeah. And while he was there at Boston college, you know, he was there for four years. I mean, they made three bowl games in those four years. So really not bad. Um, and you look at just like win loss record, which we're hiring a defensive coordinator, not a head coach, but you know, it's, it's indicative of his performance overall as a coach and his ability to teach and lead. But you know, in 2020, he was six and five in 2021, six and six in 2022. I mean, I know you mentioned the defense was particular was like the poor year in the defense was 2023, 2022, they go three and nine. I'm sure. They'd like to have that year back. And then 2023, they go seven and six. So yeah, you know, and, and one of the articles I read said they were having trouble with some of the in terms of the win loss record, their what was it? The number of games that they gave up, like was it less than thirty, but but lost was was um, unusually high. Ah, so they're, so they're offense, they weren't scoring. They weren't scoring so much. Yeah, um, and, and they they had and the, they had a fair number of games where they were giving up, you know points in in the in the 20s and um and maybe it was like on, on par with like clemson or something that year i forget which one of those years it was maybe it was like 21 20 or 22 and their sort of their overall defense performance a lot of these things are also reflected in pff grades as well as in the uh, like points per per play metric that i was using um his first year they were 39th in d overall 31st in run 43rd in pass rush 41st in coverage from that, they jump up in his second year to 17th overall in defense, 17th in run D, run D, sixth in coverage, only 65th in pass rush, um, and third in tackling. And then there's a little bit, it starts to degrade a little bit in his third and fourth year, going up to 40, 48th overall in defense and 57th overall in defense in 2023. Um, and, and the coverage grades also drop off in those last couple of years. So one thing I want to talk about overall in terms of uh, – so the trends overall while he was there is the defense got significantly better in his first couple of years, but then started to get noticeably worse in his last two years compared to his first two. Another way to measure it is looking uh, for points per drive, which we talk about a lot at the NFL level. Um, and I was able to get this data from The Athletic, uh, which I had to pull from a few different articles, try to get, get it for each year he was there. In 2020, they were 84th in stops, stop, stop percentage, and 81st in points per drive in, in his first year in 2020. That improved to 50th in um, stop rate and 50th in points per drive in 2021. But then in 2022, they dropped to 102nd in stop rate and 97th in points per drive, and were only 89th in stop rate um, and 103rd in points per drive in 2023. And so some of this. Dude, Dude, I just wanted it? to. Can you remind me what the uh, trend in recruiting classes look like? I was just curious if does that follow their trend in recruiting classes? Are the recruiting classes getting worse over the years as well? Or his worst just... recruiting classes were in the beginning. Uh, okay. his, his best so it's two not recruiting just that classes the players were. In, okay. Yeah, his best two recruiting classes were actually 2021 and 2022, and then it got worse again in 2023. So his 2023 recruiting class was significantly worse than 2021 and 2022. Yeah, but that doesn't matter because those players, you know, the the uh, they're not playing until usually. You, you know. figure in their freshman year, they're not contributing as much. Yeah, but you know, it is something where it's like, okay, is he does does the message get stale? Maybe or you mentioned they lost def their defensive coordinator this last year to the Panthers uh, to take a official like or sorry, not official to take a professional like NFL assistant job. Um, so. There are always, you know, other factors, but I do think that is interesting. And, you know, maybe another blemish where it's like, hey, you know, initially it's going good, but, you know, maybe the message gets a little stale over time. I guess we will see. Um, Dad, anything else you wanted to throw in about his time at the college ranks? Well, I would say overall, he definitely teams got better when he got there than they had been before in a number of different metrics on the defensive side. We don't yet know how they did after he left. It's true. Um, maybe they'll get, was, maybe they'll be really bad next year, and we'll be like, "Oh, Halfley was really holding that thing together." But I guess we, we just won't know. We'll we'll see. One of the things I had um, seen when you first was like, like quotes about uh, you know what people are saying. 
about the the candidates when you're looking at differences like oh a lot of what people are saying on twitter about him right now who are boston college fans i couldn't well, repeat on a uh here's um, the thing so i was actually friendly mention, uh, podcast i was gonna mention that i was going on reddit which is you know but is good for gauging i think crowd sentiment and i was looking at the college football post about halfley leaving boston college and going to the bad uh, sorry the packers and the uh, difference in attitude around him from Ohio State fans and Boston College fans is really funny because Ohio State fans are like, wow, what a good hire. It took years for us to find someone to replace him after he left. And the Boston College people are like, good riddance. Get this guy out of here. So can we, like, can we fire him already? Yeah, they were like, they were talking about, they were like, they're like, how did you give up seven touchdowns in seven straight possessions against Louisville? Like, my goodness. So, you know, there's a glass half empty, glass half full version there. But Ohio State people are like, this is the guy. And that was his last defensive coordinator job. So, And I think uh, Zach Cruz, uh, who caught a lot of heat for this, was talking about how th- uh, the parallels essentially between uh, Brandon Staley and Halfley about how, you know, they were, had one like awesome year as a defensive coordinator and then became a head coach with, I would say, you know, Halfley had more success uh, as a head coach than Staley did for sure. Uh, but became a head coach for three years and are now going back to being a defensive coordinator. And we will see if that one year as a defensive coordinator was, you know, this is who they are as a DC. And then, you know, maybe they're not quite as good a head coach as they were a DC. Uh, or we'll see if, you know, maybe that one year was being heavily propped up by talent, whether it's Staley with Ramsey and Donald or Halfley with, you know, Akuda and Chase Young. I guess we will see. Um, but dad, as we're wrapping up here, I think let's just start talking about our final thoughts and maybe riff for a little bit. Overall, after talking it through, talking about his time in the pros, talking about his time in college, doing all that research, how are you feeling about this hire? I think there are there there's reason for optimism. I don't think there You love that phrase. You love there's reasons to be excited. <laughs> reason there's optimism. reasons for optimism. I'm always looking for reasons for optimism. Because that's fair. That's fair. if you're only looking for reasons for pe- pessimism, it's like, what are you doing? That's are you just fair. trying to be unhappy? I mean, is, if you're searching for reasons, some, sometimes people I think are like searching for reasons for pessimism. Yeah, you want to have have a you know be be reasonable. There are there are yeah. there are reasons to have concerns, mm-hmm. as opposed to like- reason. Instead of saying it's doomed for, to fail. I guess it's, there's a, there's a, I feel like there's a big difference between saying, yeah, we there's some reasons for concern versus like, oh, this is this is gonna flame, you know, flame out horribly. Well, to me, I, what I'm thinking about is I'm comparing it to how I felt about the Joe Barry hire a few years ago, and at the time of the Joe Barry hire, I was like, so underwhelmed. I I remember feeling like, why did why was this the one of the three finals? Okay, yeah, that, that one. I <laughs> and, but you remember, I, I, I was not full like, optimist about they? that one. That's what I'm saying. It's like at the time you were like, and I obviously very low bar to clear, but. If I'm comparing how I felt then, where I was like, wow, I can't believe that was one of the... I remember thinking, I can't believe he's one of the three finalists. And then the fact that he was... Well, he wasn't even the one they chose. Like, if chose, if you choose to believe that. If, I mean, that's been reported, um, that they wanted Leonard and then settled on Barry, but they could have had Evero. Um, but if I compare that to how I feel now, I'm I'm very cautiously optimistic. I, I always say cautiously, because I'm never going to let myself get all the way sucked in, on especially Packers defense. But I'm cautiously optimistic. I think the process is sound. Um, there were reports, and I know people were like, oh, he's LaFleur's friend. Like, he's doing this again. It's another Nepo hire. And Tom Silverstein reported that they, like, barely know each other. And, like, I don't and think that they that know was... each other well. I think the, the tightest connection is, like, through Sala. Yeah, it's, like, through or... Sala, through Shanahan. Um, Stenovich coached with him in oh, San right. Francisco, uh, I believe. They were Sh- – um, Shanahan and he were together in Cleveland or something. Yeah, bit. well, Shanahan and him were together in San Francisco, well, then, too. Of course, in San Francisco um, for his last – and, Which may be why he ended up in San Francisco, because I think they had been in Cleveland a little bit before. And Downer had coached with him, and and th- there are connections on the staff. And he had coached under uh, or with Mike Lafleur at one point. I can't remember where. So he's worked with Matt's brother as well. So that like they know each other, but like the fact, the idea that they're like these close friends, and he's just hiring his buddy is is just not true based on the reporting that we've seen since uh, since the hire. So yeah. I, I just wanted to put that out there. But when I'm thinking about the process in terms of like aggressive 
gonna gonna switch it up has a lot of different uh a diverse background in terms of like football acumen and football ideas um seems to be from all like accounts a good teacher of football people listen to him seems really intense um is very detail oriented gets buy-in from players i can't imagine it's easy to get buy-in from a guy like richard sherman who knows so much about football where it's like what like what it, what it, what can you really teach an like an age thirty year old Richard Sherman like he he pretty much knows everything like that there is to know about coverage he's probably forgotten more than most people will ever know about coverage and for him to be like wow I really res- like respect him as a teacher and think he's like one of those top defensive minds that says a lot about him so I I'm cautiously optimistic I understand the hire I like that they're going with a young guy. I think it was a little shocking for all of us because we were like, who on earth are you hiring? What? How, how did this happen? Um, but yeah, no, I, I feel pretty good about this hire. I, I, I think it could work. Um, I, I also think it could work. We've seen him succeed. Yes, um, we've seen him have good defense At an elite level, something that Joe Barry did precisely nowhere. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Joe Barry I mean, had we, like We looked back as like, oh man, there's he's had a bad defense everywhere he's been. It's like, yeah, we were looking, it was like, by TV. Let go back before that. Yeah, it's like by TV. It's like, okay, I'm really, I feel like at that point, we're making excuses. Like, well, maybe he didn't have any talent, but yeah, I remember being either. Exactly. It's like coming up with, like, yes, the idea of doing more with less. And the, I remember thinking about, it's like, I mean, if I squint really hard, I could be like, he's just going to run the Staley stuff. It's fine. And I think that's another nice pivot here is you're not hiring a scheme, you are hiring a coach, right? Which should always be what you're doing. But somehow we got lost last time. Yeah, I think maybe the NFL went through this a little bit, at least in the offensive uh, side of the ball. It's like, oh, let's get everybody from this McVeigh tree. Well, people talk about that, but name one of those guys that hasn't worked. Like every single one of those hires has been good. <laughs> like, I, like even the ones that people laughed at, like Zach Taylor. Zach Taylor took the Bengals to a Super Bowl. They had Jake Browning looking like a pretty good quarterback. Uh, Kevin O'Connell yeah, Browning with the good. Vikings. Kevin O'Connell with the Vikings. They're doing a really good job on offense. They're doing interesting things. Kirk Cousins looks as good as he's ever looked. You got McVay. You got Lafleur. You got uh, Shanahan. McDaniel. You got McDaniel. Like which of these? Like everyone's like, oh, back when everyone hired all these McVay, all of them have been good coaches. Like, like they're all this. That's that's a point for doing that because they've all been good. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I'm more in the camp of get good people, get people who are smart and skilled at their job. And know how to get people to play well. Teach them how to play well. Motivate them how to play well. Put them in a position to play well. As yeah. opposed to just put them in a position and hope it doesn't fail. Yeah. And all a lot of the what we're talking about is like general design of the defense. We're not going to know how he is really as a defensive play caller until we really see it in action. That's like that's the thing where you're just gonna have to wait and see. I know Dusty Evely, like we talked about earlier, he was talking about how they did some interesting blitz things on third down, sending delayed blitzers through the same gap. So like sending one blitzer through the A gap and then like a second later sending a second one when it's like already opened up. Um and he thought that they he thought their defense was not particularly complicated at Boston College, but had interesting tricks, like little like twists that they would just kind of throw in there to like try and get the other team off guard. I mean, they went toe to toe with Florida State this past year. Like, I think they only lost that game by like a score. So uh, they've been able to compete at a high level versus some other, versus some programs that, you know, maybe they're like punching above their weight, even in a year where their defense wasn't necessarily as good. Um, but dad, anything else you want to add or should we wrap it up here? Jeff Halfley, new defensive coordinator, Green Bay Packers. I had gotten myself to the point where, oh, we're still not going to hear for a few days. They're still going through the process. They got like guys they'd just been able to start talking to two days ago it's the, like they haven't the even done staff. A, they a don't know how that's going to play out. And Evero is getting blocked from talking to them and all kinds of like, and okay, we're not like, going to know what's going on. I was like, McDonald's yeah. been hired by the Seahawks. And so he's going to take these like Baltimore guys with him. If we're going to hire him, we got to move quick. We moved quick. We moved quick. Just a, in a completely different direction. We didn't even know it was on the table. <laughs> we We went to a different plane. We were stuck thinking. Right. We were stuck thinking north, we, south, we east, west. We walked out of the walked out of the tarback and got on a different plane. We were we were no. I was I was thinking about we were talking about north, south, east, west, and we just went up. That's how that's how <laughs> I felt. I was like, oh, you go one of these four directions. Nope. Think again. But anyway, thank you so much for listening, everyone. This has been our breakdown of Jeff Halfley. Um, 
new defensive coordinator for the Green Bay Packers. It's very exciting times. A really important offseason for Green Bay. A really important offseason for Green Bay. And you can follow along with us here. Uh, we'll be doing an episode a week, every single week, talking about coaching hires, talking about free agency, talking a lot about the draft with, you know, senior bowls this week and the uh, combines coming up. So come give us a follow on Twitter at Father Son Packer. I'm going to be looking through a lot of Boston College defensive highlights, I guess, tonight. So that's what I'll be doing. Um, and beyond that, uh, come subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, but yeah, come subscribe to us, comment on those YouTube. We'll check those comments. We check those comments as fast as we can, as often as we can. Um, but yeah, until next time, go Pack Go. Go Pack Go.